We are back on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. Spencer in for JP. I've said it a couple times, but I'll continue to remind you, if you are over the substitute teacher and you want your regularly scheduled host back, JP is back tomorrow. I hope that's not the case. I hope you've been enjoying my time on the show, both Thursday, Friday, and now tonight. I thought we've been having a good time together, but I understand where it's new. It's not the same person. If you're a loyal Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin listener, you want JP. He's back tomorrow. Like I said, he was very smart to take a recovery day after spending the weekend at a bachelor party, which I'm sure he'll fill you in on tomorrow, how it all went. I actually, I kind of want to tune in and hear what he has to say about how it went. Anywho... You'll at least feel like Jonathan Peelin's here because we like to keep his segments and bits that he does in place. One of those is off is the fan focus. We do that right now. All right, first up, we go to the morning show. Ken and Lima getting into a conversation about who the best running back in football is. Now, finally... How many years in? How many years has Nick Chubb had now? Five. It's only been five. I think so. Every time I hear people say yeah, it's somebody else. Until yeah. recently, until this offseason, I'm seeing a lot of people bring out the film, uh, point to the film study, and say, "No, Nick Chubb's the best running back." So then I thought to myself, when Christian McCaffrey got traded from Carolina last year, it was a haul. I mean, I remember the 49ers got ripped for how much they traded for a running back mm-hmm. who you have to pay. And who they had injury concerns. And who had injury concerns. Ma- major injury concerns. They wondered if McCaffrey had lost a step. Still, 49ers went all out. And you know what? The minute McCaffrey ended up in the 49ers and Shanahan system, he was incredible again. And he was versatile and he does it all. We know how they can line McCaffrey up anywhere. Wide receiver, they can line him up anywhere. He does it all. But yet, I'm hearing people say Chubb is the best. So I wanted to ask you, Kenny, is Chubb the best running back in football? And if so, wouldn't it stand to reason that he, if the Browns ever... I think it's the second best. Okay, second best. I'll give you the answer right now. I, mean, I think he's the second best running back in football. You, I think Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in football because of what he did down the stretch for what he's done for that football team. I guess the, the bigger question is... Can Nick Chubb be the best running back in football if he's not used like that? Because that is how a lot of these weapons have been used over the past how many years? I guess technically they're right. Like Christian McCaffrey should probably be considered the best running back in football with the caveat or the context of when healthy, if we're adding that into the conversation because – That is a big what-if with him, I think, we've seen over the years. Granted, he was great at the end of last year, and to the point of the conversation they were having, when he is out there on the field, he showed what he can still do. Absolutely dazzling player. He's phenomenal. I respect the hell out of Christian McCaffrey, and I do do think he's an amazing player. But, and this kind of plays into the conversation I want to have later about college players maybe classifying as different positions, if you will. Coming out of college because of the pay rate that running backs have. I, I 
Christian McCaffrey, to me, sort of feels like something else. Like, I get on on paper, if you're pulling up our lads and looking at the depth chart, he's a running back. But he does so many more things that it's kind of like the Le'Veon Bell evolution of the game where he said he wanted to be remembered for changing the game and he became this great running back pass catcher. He did everything. He was, playing, he was lined up in the slot. And you know... In Shanahan's offense, that's how a running back is used anyway. So that's just always going to be the, the 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 operating procedure of a running back. I think Nick Chubb is truly the best, like, true running back in football. I think the game's changed where now you got a lot of hybrid guys, and that's what Christian McCaffrey is. He's kind of in a different category for me. I say Nick Chubb's the best running back. I think Christian McCaffrey is maybe the headliner of a different category of player. And we will revisit this conversation because, like I said, I have a point I want to maybe get to about college players coming out and how they will be viewed as running, college running backs specifically coming out and how they should sort of prepare themselves for the NFL and what their future holds in terms of pay. All right, next up, we go to Afternoon Drive talking about how close... The Guardians roster really is. It's interesting that because they haven't put it together and, and the losing or the winning and losing looks different over the last 20 to 25 games, it seems like a lot of people have turned a corner that there are more fundamental issues with the Guardians other than just like they have not hit well enough. And I don't know where I fall on this because, you know, we're roughly halfway through the season and I think the back half of the season is going to tell us a lot. But I, I think when you say the Guardians are losing because they're not well-constructed or because they just have fatal flaws in the lineup, that tells me you think that's not a this-year issue. That tells me that you think that the construction is more than just a player away. And I don't know where you are on this, Dustin. I, I legitimately think they're one player away. And I, I, I hope that you can get that player for Shane Bieber, but I think they're one power hitter away. Because they need some damn offense. Well, and I, I mean, listen. So on Saturday, right? You've got five base runners on. Mm-hmm. The pitcher can't throw a strike, and you get one run. Yeah. And then, by the way, I think the greater problem right now continues to be like, yes, they are a contact hitting team. Yes, um, they need more power. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But I look at this and I say, like, you're still not getting good at bats. You're no, sorry, you're not getting good enough. You're not getting enough good at bats. Right. I disagree with Nick that they're only one player away. Like, I agree their biggest need is obviously another power bat. They need more of that in the lineup. That that, that was an issue last year. We thought they maybe finally addressed it with Josh Bell, and that has just blown up in their face and not worked out. But like when you look at World Series rosters. They have more than, uh, like, like the, the Guardians have more holes that they're trying to figure out right now. And, 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 and to be clear, like, I'm not mad about it because they're trying a lot of young guys at certain positions and trying to get them to stick. So, yeah, it's going to take time for a Tyler Freeman to really find his footing in baseball. And he's done a great job this year. But, like, yeah, we're, we're not there yet with this team. The outfielder situation is still kind of being worked out. Will, will uh, Brennan looks really good. He, he seems like he's going to be a staple player here. Same with Stephen Kwan. Uh, but, you know, what are you doing at center field with Miles Straw? You need a, a better hitting outfielder. 
Uh, obviously, you need more power because you're not getting anything from Josh Bell, so you need a better designated hitter, most likely. There's still questions. There's you need more. You need more production from a catcher, which hopefully that's Bo Naylor. But these are still questions that have yet to be answered. I mean, think about teams that are like winning the World Series. The Astros last year, they have Jordan Alvarez. They have uh, Jose Altuve. They had a Kyle Tucker. They have guys who are contributing. They had Michael Brantley. Um, The Braves have Ronald Acuna. They have Marcelo Zuna. They have Sean Murphy, who they added. Like, they're constantly making their rosters better and chasing those championships. They're not just one player away. If they were then you wouldn't have had two major holes to fill a catcher and with a with adding a bat in the lineup. But I also understand like where they're at in this process. I'm willing to give them time, but yeah, like it's 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 just not working out this year. There's there's still room for growth. They do need a power bat, but it's it's more than that right now, and that's why I think Tito's being overanalyzed the way that he is. Next we go to Baskin and Phelps. Speaking of the Guardians. They're uh, really chomping at the bit, especially Phelps, to call up a specific outfielder who spent time with the big league club last year. Will Brennan has taken advantage of the at-bats that he was given that Oscar was not. No issues with Will Brennan at all. Against righties, Will Brennan, is, and he's a left-handed hitter, is hitting 287. Against lefties, he's hitting 184. Gabe Arias against righties is hitting 260. He's a right-handed hitter. Against lefties, Gabe Arias is hitting 093. He's 5 for 54. Oscar Gonzalez, who in 25 games here was not doing real well, was still hitting 250 against lefties. In his career against lefties, Oscar hits 262. Against righties, 286. But it, so if you want to go straight platoon, there's one guy who hits lefties better than Will Brennan and Gabe Arias, and it's Oscar Gonzalez. I did this because I hear all about, well, he swings at all kinds of garbage and blah, 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 and his strikeout rate and blah, 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 blah. Andy? Yeah, do you have a stat on this? In 25 games in Cleveland this year, okay. Oscar struck out 15 times in 75 at-bats. That's striking out 20% of the time you went to the plate. Okay. That's not good. No. Gabe Arias is striking out 38.5% of the time he goes to the plate. Uh. You can take away the pain, but you can't take away the swelling. He has struck out 49 times in 127 at-bats. Oscar was hitting 192. Gabe's hitting 197. By God, that five points will keep you in the majors. Look, nothing against Gabe Arias here. Right. Gabe has yet to show that he can be a productive major league hitter. Oscar Gonzalez has shown that. I don't disagree with Jeff that, listen, if you want to call up Oscar Gonzalez and send down Gabe Arias, fine. I I can live with that. Clearly, Arias is having some struggles, and it hasn't clicked for him yet at this level. I think the one thing he has that's an advantage over Gonzalez is that he is kind of more of a Swiss Army knife. He can play multiple positions for you. That's probably what's kept him up here as long as it has. I do want to quote, though, Al Pulowski from Friday night when we had him on with us here on, on 92.3 The Fan here on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin as well. When you're, when you're in AAA, the pitching matchups you're getting are basically like playing against a team's fifth starter every single timeout. 
So Oscar Gonzalez batting 267 or whatever the hell it was doesn't really impress me at the AAA level. Yes, he hit for the cycle. Great, cool, awesome moment for him. That's not just a reason to call him up. I, I, As much as we're questioning the front office and some of the decisions that they make, I would like to believe that they have a good reason for keeping him down there at the moment. And so listen, if that's why you, if you move him up because Gabe Arias doesn't get it done, fine. But I'm not just like jumping for joy that thinking that Oscar Gonzalez is going to get back up here and save the day. He was sent down for a reason. I don't know that I'm basing his performance off of AAA pitching as some huge barometer on why I think he should be back up here. We go back to afternoon drive, and uh, Nick and Dustin got tricked by this uh, social media topic going around, but I thought it was funny and something that I, as a parent, am very fearful of. So I did want to talk real quick about the Delta baby ban. If you guys have not heard about this, Delta has a plan now where you can pay extra to have a radius set around the seat that you you choose, and in that radius, a baby will not be sitting around you. This is, one, I think this is right up your alley. Right, Dustin? Yes. Like, it's a fact. There's also, just no also, other kind of baby, by no, the way. And, and listen, I have children, mm-hmm. and I once traveled with them. Yes. It sucks. Yeah. It's rough. I think I think we might be getting punked on this one. Oh, we are? I think so, because this guy is named Soren, who oh. tweeted us out. He said, I make satirical design concepts daily. Oh. Smash that follow button for ways to make flying more peaceful. I absolutely think well, people I, would sign up for this. I think they would 100%. If this is not real, this should be a, a real thing. Like... Whoever does this actually will be the most profitable air company. Listen, let me just be real honest. Not $1, not $5, not $100. There's no amount of money I would pay to to not have children seven or under around me. I just don't care that much. Maybe it's because I've never had the nightmare experience. It's not worth that much to me. So a fair amount of people I think are where you are. I think I'm the anomaly. So, um... This was about, gosh, maybe seven years ago uh-huh. when I was flying to the, uh, I was flying out of Florida for the Buckeye cruise, and I had a, a, a child sitting behind me who kicked the back of my chair the entire flight. Mm. As a new parent, I can tell you, like, I am deathly afraid already of flying with my children. And I think it's just because every time I've, everybody I've talked to who's like already been a parent or already has kids and whatever, all they do is like strike the fear into God and me and my wife about, oh, when you travel, make sure this. And people talk so much about how they hate traveling with kids. You can find a tweet a day, at least multiple tweets a day of people complaining about flying on the same flight as a crying baby or whatever. And I'm just deathly afraid of my kid being that kid that my child being that child on a flight that I'm deathly afraid to ever travel with them. I just want society to accept that, like, guys, this is hard. I do think most parents or most people who are parents and travel on planes and things do understand that it comes to the territory and they do feel bad for you if they know that you're at least trying. But, yeah, like, if your kid's kicking a kid's a person's seat the entire flight, you got to be aware of that and get to stop. I agree with Dustin on that. That's, that's ridiculous. But I just hope... 
that when we do finally take my, our son Jackson and you know down the line we have add more to our family on trips that people are understanding because my biggest fear is that they're not and then an already stressful situation becomes more stressful for us I would hate that and lastly we go back to the morning show Ken and Lima talking about the release or maybe not so much of the new NCAA football game because I don't know if you noticed this this brand called the the Brander Group, which is supposed to represent like 50 different schools and NIL, has brought a lawsuit to EA Sports about them making the game because they're not paying enough to the college player to put, the, to put them in the game for the new NCAA football game that's supposed to come out summer of 2024. Now, when the game comes out, I will be there. I will absolutely we, we've be We've waited long enough this, for this game. I'm excited for the game. And, I, and I, I saw what they were upset with because they said it wasn't enough money. And they said, well, NFL players make this much on, on the EA Sports games on Madden, but college players only make this. And I thought, What is the breakdown? What's the difference? Well, I think it's around 500 per player. And what, what do the NFL football. guys get? A lot more than that. But there's less players in the NFL well, than yeah. there would be in college football. So I'm thinking, at some point, guys, if you actually hold the game up, which there's money to be made on this game. Now, EA Sports has to be able to make the game. If you actually hold the game up and they decide they're not going to do a game, if you actually go Ed O'Bannon with it, which is that's the last thing you want to do is go Ed O'Bannon with it, I think you hurt yourself, don't you? Say they can get it up to 1,000. Can they get it up to 1,000 per player? Or even 800 per player? Yeah, I mean, I imagine is the it, money is there for that. Is yeah. it 800 and the recognition of you being in a game better than nothing? Am I wrong? No, you should fight for every penny you should get. I'm not saying sure, you should. But if there's no more money to get, I know. Right? It, but that's what I'm saying. You should fight for what you can get. But also, there has to be a level where we have reached our max, and if we go any further, they're not going to make the game, and we're not going to get anything out of it. Like, isn't there a happy medium here? Ken is absolutely right, and we got to talk about this more next in the fan because this game is must-have for society, myself included. And listen, I just want my video game back. We do it next on 92 Through the Fan. We've got Eric Edholm set to join us top of the hour, 10 o'clock. He wrote a piece over the weekend about storylines that are being overblown and storylines that need more attention. And one of them was that the Cleveland Browns are a sneaky contender. I want to ask him about it. I'll ask him about some of the other things he hit on in the piece as well. And just some NFL uh, broadly to go along with it all. That's at 10 o'clock here on the fan. Uh, last part of this fan focus we played last segment. Ken and Lima had a very uh, indulging conversation about the NCAA football game that EA Sports is trying to bring back. And Ken brought up a good point. Like, at some point, if you just... If you're asking for more money, uh, if you're the players, and I am in cahoots with Ken. We are very much in unison on the idea that, yes, all these players should feel warranted to seek out as much money as they can make off their name, image, and likeness. I have never been poo-poo, this is college football, they shouldn't make money. I've never been that guy. I I want them to be able to 
get paid as much as they deserve to get paid. I've never tried to put a roadblock in front of that. I've always supported the players in that movement. But Ken is right that at some point, you're doing yourself a disservice where you end up getting nothing from it if you just keep pushing for more and more and more because the the end game of that is just EA Sports saying, well, then we're just not going to do the game and because we can't afford to pay these players what you guys think they're they're worth. And that's a lose for everybody. It's a lose for the players because they get nothing from it. And it's a lose for society, which is the main point here, right? That game was so ingrained in the zeitgeist of sports fans, for of, of, of the just national sports fandom for so many years. Every year it came out. I can tell you it was my favorite sports game every single year. I would buy that every year. Madden, I would kind of alternate years. That when I when I the years I bought Madden and that in the same year, I would do the dynasty mode and, and NCAA football. And then I would take the team and draft my players in, in Madden with my franchise mode. That was always how I did it. It was the best. That game rocks. I honestly do worry about what the Recruiting looks like in a modern day version of this because we know that a lot of these video games these days, it's all microtransactions and you got to like use your credit card to do certain things. I don't want all that. Like, don't make it like uh, NBA 2K. What year was Kyrie? I think it was the year Kyrie was on it when he was in Boston. 2018, maybe. Where it was like you couldn't do anything without microtransactions. It was the worst. I think that is still rated like the worst NBA 2K game of all time. It was bad, man. And of course, that was one of the years I bought after like years of not buying it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy this one. And then I realized quickly that it was a waste of time. Um, But regardless, this is one of those instances where, and I know this is rare in society these days, that somebody would willingly accept less money or lesser of whatever recognition, whatever it might be, for the good of society. But these players just got to take one for the team here. They just have to do society a service and understand that we are grateful to every last one of them for accepting less money than maybe they think they're worth from this game and your name, image, and likeness in it so that we can have our NCAA football game back. I don't think that, like, if... if this collective or whatever it is that's representing these players and trying to get them more money. I understand that's their job, but I think that they are being tone deaf to just how important sports fans and especially football fans feel about this game. And they need to just back off and take one for the sake of society. The hope is that a lot of these players that are doing the NIL thing, that they can make money elsewhere off their name, image, and likeness. That, th- listen, they were never going to make bank off of a video game. It's like that has, Ken said it. Like in Madden, there's less players. In this game, you're talking about huge rosters. I mean, these rosters in college football are massive. And you're talking about a hundred and something plus teams. I mean, it is impossible to compensate these players in the same way that the NFL players are compensated. 
It's just never going to happen. So this is just a message to them. I support you all in your ventures of seeking as much money as possible while you're during your college career for your services, for NIL, all of it. But in this one instance, can you just back off? Can you just give society this one thing? Take a little less money for this one thing. And maybe, like Ken said, maybe they can negotiate a little bit more. Maybe they can get it up to 800 per player. Maybe they can get it up to 1,000 per player. And you know what? I'll even do this. I am willing to pay a little bit more for this video game than most video games, which are already astronomically expensive, just because I love and want this game to be back so much. If it means that we can pay you just a little bit more than what you're already getting paid. We can meet you halfway. We can negotiate on it. We can now it can't it has to be within reason. But again, the, if the end result is that EA Sports just says, well, if we're paying you that much, it ain't worth it to us because we still got to make profit. So we'll just bag the whole thing and we won't have a video game at all. Then nobody wins in that scenario because you don't get any money and we don't get our video game in society that we have been craving since the last year it came out in 2014. Please just do us this one solid. Please. It's all I ask. I I, I, I just, I, I think there's a lot of people with me on this. I would imagine. 216-474-992. Do you agree that the players, the college players just maybe need to uh, bite the bullet on this one and take whatever they're being offered by EA within reason. I understand why they don't want to get like gypped completely so that we can have our video game. 